we are setting out a path to help a new Ukraine rise from the ashes of war. Mentioned during his speech the European Commissioner for Economy, Paolo Gentiloni. Hello and welcome to Euractiv's Beyond the Byline podcast. I am Evi Chiori and this episode focuses on the decision of the European Commission to provide a 9 billion increase in short-term budgetary aid to the Ukrainian government and to set up a reconstruction platform to help with the massive financing needs of rebuilding the country. We are also trying to understand how and why electric vehicles can help environment but could possibly harm our health. And what is happening with diesel and gasoline prices? We will continue to be by their side throughout this war and when they will rebuild their country. We are proposing for Ukraine to top up the significant short-term relief provided until now with a new exceptional macrofinancial ex- uh, um, assistance to Ukraine of up to 9 billion euros in 2022. So President Ursula von der Leyen announced that the European Commission will remain an important ally and supporter of Ukraine and to show once more its support to the people of Ukraine a 9 billion financial assistance will be provided. Moreover, the Commission funded a reconstruction platform called Rebuild Ukraine in order to cover the financial needs of rebuilding the country. To hear more on this, I'm joined by Euractiv's Economy and Jobs editor, Janos Aman, who has been following the story. Welcome to the podcast, Janos. Um, how did the Commission come up with the reconstruction plan and what does this plan entail in practice? On Wednesday, the Commission uh, presented a plan to uh, reconstruct Ukraine. Actually, it has uh, it has presented two plans. One is uh, a short-term macrofinancial assistance. Uh, so it proposes to step up the aid to Ukraine uh, very fast, if in up to nine billion euros. Um, and the second part is a long-term plan that uh, Ursula von der Leyen called Rebuild Ukraine. And it is a platform for which no numbers, no figures are being communicated yet, but it should help to organize kind of a martial plan, like a, a large reconstruction of Ukraine. Um, and uh, it should be co-led by the EU Commission and the Ukrainian government. Um, and it should also invite other partners to to chip in and to organize this reconstruction. How much money does the Ukrainian government need now? And what are the main priorities of the EU? So the Ukrainian government at the moment, it spends about or it has a deficit of about 5 billion a month because it needs to keep its uh, public services running. It needs to keep uh, its war effort running. And uh, the economy has largely collapsed or it has collapsed about uh, a half. So uh, this costs a lot of money, about 5 billion a month. And quite acutely, they need about 15 billion until the end of June. So this has to come fast. Um, so the 9 billion that uh, the EU has pledged, uh, it's not enough for long. Uh, it will have to be um, accompanied by aid from the US, from Canada, from other partners, maybe international financial institutions like the IMF. But will these uh, 
other parties that you're mentioning now uh, chip in? Um, that is not clear yet. So the U.S., yes, uh, the U.S. is chipping in. They have uh, they have done more than anybody uh, until now, which is also a, a little bit of a critique towards the EU, who tries to uh, uh, posture itself as leading in this whole aid to Ukraine um, thing. But in the end, it's still the U.S. that aids the most, that helps the most. Um, and so, yeah, this is something that uh, should be uh, clear in, in the head of EU leaders. And it's important to ask uh, how the 9 billion euros will be accumulated. Member states have to pledge uh, additional guarantees for this. So it will come from an, from member states, but I don't know the technicalities of how it is. But what what is uh, important to keep in mind is that these 9 billion are loans they are not grants so actually uh, what is happening at the moment is uh, ukraine is just accumulating debt so this is not just giving money to ukraine this is giving debt um, like the eu here is acting like a bank it, it subsidizes the interest rates it doesn't um, apply high interest rates but this help is only um, having so much because by increasing uh, the indebtedness of Ukraine, this is making Ukraine less of an attractive place for private money. So actually, if you just give public debts, uh, new debts to, to the country, it might actually crowd out private investment. So the Ukrainian uh, government uh, and also advisors uh, to the government that I spoke to, they say, uh, we need we need grants because otherwise we will scare off private money and this will in the medium term actually be counterproductive. Of course, now they need the money, they need liquidity, so they will take uh, loans. Uh, it's better than nothing, but uh, in the medium term, they, they will need grants. Paolo Gentiloni said that the EU will try to support Ukraine not just today, but also in the future. What's the plan for the future? So for the future, exactly, there they have... Um, proposed this Rebuild Ukraine platform, uh, which, as I said, uh, should be co-led by the EU Commission and the Ukrainian government. Gentiloni also said that it should be uh, the Ukrainian government that decides on the priorities um, of this. Uh, uh, but also the EU Commission wants to couple it with uh, reforms that happen in Ukraine. So... Uh, they say it should be an anchor for the European future of Ukraine. They they try not to say the membership because they don't want to um, promise anything. But uh, the, the idea is um, maybe similarly to the Next Generation EU fund where countries uh, could get money from the EU but had to pledge some uh, national reforms. So Ukraine can do reforms and get investments in return. Um, and this should help in the process of becoming uh, a member or at least becoming uh, more closely integrated into the European market and into the European also legal sphere. This reconstruction is going to need enormous amounts of money. So uh, the Kiev School of Economics says that uh, infrastructure worth uh, more than $94 billion has already been destroyed and Economic cost to, uh, has been accrued of about 
500 to 600 um, billion US dollars. So these are enormous amounts. And uh, yeah, if the EU is really, really wants to um, chip in and be not, not only chip in, but lead this reconstruction, we are talking in multiple tens of billions of uh, public money, um, maybe hundreds of billions. So these will be very big, big ticket items. Oh, these will be very, very large uh, sums of money. Well, thank you, Janos. Thank you. You're listening to your Actives Beyond the Byline podcast. Subscribe to our podcast newsletter on youractive.com slash newsletters. And if you want to expand your knowledge on other fields, you can listen to our Tech Brief podcast and AgriFood Brief podcast. And moving to a different topic, to talk about how the electric vehicles could uh, possibly harm our health, but also about what is happening with diesel and gasoline prices, I'm joined by our transport editor, Sean Galden Carroll. Sean, now, with the rise of the prices of the fuels, people are turning to cheaper solutions that are also more sustainable. Could we say that electric vehicles are the solution we are looking for? Well, it's undeniable that fueling an electric vehicle is cheaper than fueling a conventional car, uh, particularly since the outbreak of the war in Ukraine. Um, The issue, though, is that electric cars are more expensive, of course, to buy than a conventional vehicle. And there's a very limited secondhand market. So if you want to get a really cheap electric car, it's much more difficult than getting a cheap uh, petrol or diesel car. Um, That said, though, over the lifetime, because it is cheaper to uh, you know, fuel your car with electricity than with petrol. Over the lifetime, you will save the money, but the issue is the upfront cost. There's also the case, it's also true though, that actually the maintenance required for electric vehicles is generally cheaper because you don't need to have oil chains and so on. So um, yeah, it is cheaper to run, but it's more expensive to buy. I mean, basically they're saying that by the middle of this decade, so in a few years, it could be the case that electric cars reach parity Uh, in terms of price with conventional cars. So yeah, within a few years, we should see electric vehicles, as you know, it gets cheaper to produce batteries and so on. We should see electric vehicles actually becoming cheaper. And while talking about the rise of the prices, how do you think the situation will evolve? Uh, What is going to happen with gasoline and diesel? Um, It's it's difficult to speculate, but uh, if you ask me, things are going to get worse before they get better. So the EU is widely expected to announce uh, a ban on Russian oil imports. At the moment, this is being uh, blocked by Hungary. Um, but what is likely to happen is that the EU will offer Hungary concessions. It'll uh, perhaps uh, offer some financial incentives or derogations, and Hungary will eventually agree. And then there will be a ban on Russian oil uh, imports into the EU. So this means that the EU will need to pivot towards other suppliers. Uh, They'll likely look to the United States. They'll likely look to the Middle East, particularly uh, Saudi Arabia. Um, And these uh, countries, these suppliers, uh, I mean, they know that Europe needs oil and they'll probably charge a premium. 
because that's how the market works. You would need to maximize profit. Um, Europe is particularly susceptible to diesel products. Europe can't, doesn't have a huge refining capacity for diesel particularly. So the price of diesel will likely go up. Um, and it's also the case that because uh, Europe has basically processed Russian oil for so long, a lot of our refineries are set up to process Russian oil only, this so-called Ural oil. Um, so they may need to be adapted uh, in order to process oil from you know United States or Middle East. So this will also add to the expense. So yeah, things won't be cheap in the immediate future. Uh, in fact, it's likely to get more expensive. And do you think diesel, you know, the cheap fuel as we used to know it, will become more expensive than gasoline? Uh, I believe so because they can put a price premium on diesel and because we don't have the refining capacity. So if you want diesel products, you'll probably need to pay more. And will the prices uh, ever return to normality? And by normality, I mean anything uh, before the war in Ukraine. It's very hard to say. I mean, I think uh, that will never go back to buying fossil fuels from Russia. Uh, I mean, if we look the long term, uh, if you l- think about climate change and if you think about uh, the future of energy, the future of energy isn't oil. Uh, we need to reduce our, our dependence on fossil fuels for climate reasons. So actually, if we do all the things that we want to do in terms of you know switching to electric vehicles, um, insulating our homes better, then we could actually reach a situation where there's a lower demand for oil products. Um, and if that's the case, if there's a lower demand, then we could see prices start to drop. But yeah, there's a lot of work to be done before we get to that level. And we know that electric vehicles reduce our environmental impact. However, their production has caused uh, some questions. Are in the end these vehicles the solution to the environmental problems? It's undeniable that electric cars are cleaner than Conventional cars, they don't produce tailpipe emissions. They don't even have an exhaust pipe because there's no combustion engine. There's no uh, pollution being spewed at the back. Um, It's not entirely clean. It depends on how you create the electricity, of course. If it's electricity generated from coal, it's not as clean as electricity generated from wind. Uh, But it is, yeah, in terms of tailpipe emissions, I mean, it's it's much, much cleaner. So it's good for air quality. Um, and it's also, even if you are generating electricity from coal, uh, it's still better than environmentally than if you're generating, uh, if you're, sorry, fueling a car with petrol. Um, the issue though, the environmental issue for electric cars is that batteries require um, components like nickel and lithium. Difficult to find nickel. Exactly. These need to be extracted. Uh, and they're extracted from places like uh, the Democratic Republic of Congo, which has uh, very limited uh, worker protections and, you know, environmental oversight and so on. So, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the EU is trying to tackle this. They basically said that they want to have a due diligence uh, set up. Uh, this is under the, the EU's upcoming battery regulation, um, and this would basically re- require checks that there's no exploitation of workers or, you know, environmental or untoward environmental deg- degradation. Um, and they also want to basically recycle uh, the lithium and, and cobalt and nickel and so forth in batteries so that we we have less of a demand for raw extraction. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's not entirely environmentally friendly if you have this extraction. Uh, but it's a trade-off between, you know, conventional fossil fuel-powered cars and electric cars. 
While all this uh, sounds promising, there is a rumor floating around that electric vehicles could potentially uh, harm our health. How true is that and uh, in what way? So electric vehicles are better for air quality than conventional cars because they don't have these tailpipe emissions. They don't produce carbon, which is, you know, exacerbating the climate crisis, and they don't produce things like uh, nitrogen oxide, which is harmful to human health. Uh, what they So this, this is a huge positive. But what they do produce uh, is what's called road dust. So road dust is basically small particulate matter, which comes from the scraping of uh, brake pads. So if you slam on the brakes, uh, there's friction and this can actually lead to shedding of small particles. Uh, and also there can be small particles shed from tires, just from the friction with the road. Uh, and this kind of mixes together and it creates something called road dust. And as cars move across a road, this is then suspended up into the air uh, and it can be inhaled by people and it's hugely harmful uh, to health. So this particulate matter, it's separated by scientists between PM10 and PM2.5, which is called coarse uh, road dust and fine uh, particulate matter. Uh, and the problem with PM2.5 is it's, it's incredibly small, like a fraction of the size of a human hair. And because it's so small, it can penetrate deep into lungs and it can cause uh, respiratory issues. It can cause some forms of cancer. Uh, it can even cause uh, some cognitive uh, disabilities, such as contributing to Alzheimer's. Uh, and there was a study done that tried to um, calculate how many people had died prematurely because of particulate matter. And they put the uh, the figure at somewhere between 150 and 300,000 people in the EU uh, yearly. So yeah, it's quite significant. Um, in terms of uh, electric vehicles impact, so all cars produce this. This is just, you know, all cars have brakes, all cars have tires. The thing with electric cars is they're heavier, uh, generally speaking, than conventional cars because their powertrain batteries have a significant weight. Uh, so if you have a very heavy electric vehicle, like an SUV, um, it could be the case that it produces up to 8% more particulate matter than uh, a typical conventional, conventional car. Yeah, exactly. Um, but it, it's, it's not the case that every electric vehicle is worse. Electric vehicles also use something called regenerative braking, which actually means that there's less scraping of brake pads. But if you have a very heavy electric vehicle, it can be worse. Thank you, Sean. I learned something today. It was a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Our time is up for this week. I am Evi Chiori, and this was your Actives Beyond the Byline podcast. We will be back on your feed next week. Until then, you can send an email at podcasts at youractive.com to let us know what did you like from this episode and what topic would you like to hear more on. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast newsletter and visit youractive.com for the latest news and listen to us on your favorite podcast app. Thank you very much for listening.